From Bristol, UK, I'm Pommy Harmer. And I'm Melissa Shamam, and this is The Quarantini. And we're bringing you this podcast every week to keep your spirits up and until the COVID crisis in the UK has ended. So today we'll bring you a mix of ingenious responses to the virus, creative ideas for the future, and maybe a dash of the unexpected. And for that lovely music, big up to Seb Gutierrez and the Old Bones Collective for that tune, Hot Flu, our opening theme music. Hello and welcome back to the Quarantini podcast. In this series, we're beginning to think about what worlds we want to live in after lockdown. So we've got a packed show for you today. We have an interview with Cycling UK. Yes, they're going to tell us all about how they envision a world fit for cyclists. And for the dash of something exciting, we'll get some special audio for you at the end. But before that, we've got some music. And today I was wondering, maybe you're in a holiday mood. I am in a holiday mood. So what have we got? So I've chosen that tune, My Corona Home. It's a parody song from Kokomo. Um, I guess you'll be in the mood for this. Aruba, Jamaica, ooh, I wanna take ya Bermuda, Bahama, come on pretty mama Key Largo, Montego, baby, why don't we go? Cause we can't We're in quarantine In our own Corona homes That's where you have to go to stay away from it Dinners from a can Afternoons coloring with crayons It's been 13 seconds since I last went to go wash my hands In my Corona Aerobics, cornflakes, don't give me handshakes Please remove uh, your mama Time to watch my dramas No labor, no razor Out of toilet paper In my Corona Spent the last few days all alone Playing with styrofoam In my corona My feet, they reek Haven't showered in a week Browsing on my knees Panic shopping for groceries And by and by will defy The guidelines from the CDC My appetite Cocktails during business skies No one comes to socialize It's an introverted Oh, Melissa, that just makes me want to go straight off on holiday and have a quarantini on the beach <gasps> which, which I guess I want to be by the ocean Yeah, I guess we will one day Time to this parody and interpretation was by John Pumper. He lives in the USA and he's creating piano tutorials and sketch comedy. You can help him if you need, if you want, on his Patreon page at patreon.com slash John Pumper. Okay, it's now time for our weekly roundup. But before that, let's just remind everyone how they can get hold of us. 
Sure. Please do email us at thequarantinepodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Yes, please get in touch. We really want to hear from you and hear what you've been up to and what you think about the future. So what's happening here in Bristol then, Melissa? So you might have noticed this weekend some pubs have reopened. More will reopen very, very soon. One of them on Saturday was Bristol Spirit in Redfield. It's a bar and a cocktail provider, an exciting place in an unlikely location. And they also have set up an exhibition um, of photographs. It's dedicated to the work of Colin Moody, who's been at the protest, uh, Black Lives Matter protest, early uh, in June. And he's got this series on the fall of the statue and he wants you to get involved, write on the photos, comment, share your views. So if you want to have a drink and a think, just go there. It's on Whitehall Road in Redfield. A drink and a think. I like that. I don't know. What do you think, Pommy? Do you think it's a good time to reopen? Well, it's it's very difficult, isn't it? Businesses are desperate for people's cash. But also we don't want what inevitably happens when people have been drinking is that they get together and viruses can spread. So it's a bit of a difficult one. But if you are opening out there and you want us to give you a shout out, email us on the quarantinipodcast at gmail.com. Now, many of us have seen how clean the air became during lockdown in our cities. And here in Bristol, Extinction Rebellion have been demonstrating for the last week on top of City Hall, demanding legally clean air across the city by 2021. That is only next year, isn't it? Before this week, the mayor, Marvin Rees, had said that we would be compliant by 2025. But in his weekly Q&A this week, he announced that the council are now considering bringing that date forward to the end of 2022. So I think that's good news. Uh, Definitely. I can't wait for the city council to be kind of like catching up because I feel like a lot of people in Bristol are so ahead and, you know, it's spreading now. A lot of people are quoting us or activists from Bristol and the city farms and the initiative created by the year where Bristol was the European Green Capital. But the city council is like more on the side of businesses and which is understandable. But um, I think this is like an urgent matter. Okay, what else is Bristol really well known for? (laughs) You know, one of the symbols of Bristol is the balloon fiesta. So it's a tricky year for that. But don't worry, it will take place as a fly past in the sky. The organisers of the annual event have been forced to cancel the usual underground activities taking place at the delightful Ashton Court because of like the physical distancing rules. But um, the balloon will still go ahead as this fly pass in the sky. It will take place over the city next month in August and there will be also a virtual night glow uh, when the balloons light um, their burners in time to music. That should be lovely. I love the night glow. And I love waking up early in the morning and looking out the window and seeing the balloons. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's so colourful. It's just, you know, good mood. I know not everybody's into the balloon fiesta, um, but um, it's just delightful if you take it the right way. So moving on further afield, London. The London Symphony Chorus has honoured health and care workers who've died from coronavirus by performing a song called Never To Forget. They have included the names of the first 122 workers who died and they're all featured on the video and uh, sadly they will update it as necessary but you can go and 
see that uh, on YouTube. It's a nice gesture. Meanwhile, for other NHS workers, Sir Quentin Blake is designing mugs to help around. The iconic cartoonist is best known for his illustration of some of Roald Dahl's you know, most popular children's books like you know, Matilda and Willy Wonka. And he has teamed up with NHS Charity Together, a federation of more than 250 NHS charities. Get that mug. That's fantastic. I think I might get one of those. So, Melissa, have you got fitter during lockdown? This is the question that I'm asking everybody. Uh, I've been walking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, apparently, yes, I've been walking too. Apparently, nearly a million of us, a million of us, have downloaded the fitness app Couch to 5K just between the end of March and the end of June. That's a 92% increase over the same period as 2019. So that just goes to show that given time, we really do want to get fit as a nation. As a nation, more than as a positive. Yeah. I want the nation to get fitter for me. Is that fine? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's fine. I support it. Well, another obvious obvious facts this week. It was supposed to be Glastonbury Festival and a big anniversary year. Obviously, it couldn't happen. Uh, so instead, we're getting all this fantastic download. Go on the BBC website for most of them. Um, you can see lots of local artists as well, including um, Idols and the wonderful PJ Harvey. But it's also a reminder for us to support our musician friends and fantastic artists because they can't... I mean, the whole year is completely wasted for them because the festivals are driving the activity. So uh, this week has been launched an, a campaign to try to help. It's called Let the Music Play. Most people have shared some photos of their last gig before lockdown on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. But you can also help further if you go to um, ukmusic.org slash policy slash let the music play. Uh, there's a way to donate. There's a way to bring awareness and to get um, to know how to help venues and festivals and other platforms to reopen and be there for lovely British music. I've really enjoyed seeing some of the old bands coming back, but um, it's sad not to have Glastonbury this year, particularly in their anniversary year. Meanwhile, another initiative in the UK, if you ever know anyone working as a healthcare workers, you know now there are many free therapy groups. Let's mention two of them. One is called World Doing. They have a website called worlddoing.org, counselling, um, and you can find a lot of therapists working for free if you're an NHS worker. The other one is Duty to Care, and uh, Duty to Care has accessed um, therapy for more than 600 NHS workers so far in the UK. Uh, you can donate to support or check their website to get in touch with the right therapist for you. Really important, really important organisations. So globally, what's been happening? We have found a huge, great, big, long meal spanning 500 metres, 500 metres length of tables over the top of Charles Bridge in Prague. Um Everybody who wanted to could join in and they had to bring something, whether it was food, drink or flowers. And there were improvised bands and the country, which has introduced tough restrictions, registered fewer than 12,000 cases and fewer than 350 deaths. So they've done really, really well. They're significantly lower than most of the other Western countries. And so they thought they would thank everybody with this 
very, very long meal. Great pictures if you want to go and have a look at them on online. That place is a complete delight. I've lived in Prague when I was a student and this bridge, this view over the river, it's just one of the most beautiful spots in Europe. So, well, we're with them in spirit. Meanwhile, in my hometown, Paris, something happened that I thought would I would never see in my um, lifetime. Um, the world's largest urban farm has now opened and Paris is not renowned really for its green spaces and specifically not urban farms. It's an agri-revolution in a way. It's taking place on the rooftop of a place that is an exhibition centre. It was obviously announced last year. It didn't happen by magic during the lockdown, but he had to be delayed because of the coronavirus. It has now opened. It's in the southern part of the city, in the 15e arrondissement for the French speakers. And um, it could, it is announced, produced up to a thousand kilograms of fresh food every day to be used in local restaurants and for residents, which is a complete revolution because most of Paris would get their food from outside cities. And the, the founders, agronomist Pascal Hardy, said that the farm is great for biodiversity and efficiency and that they have a very low carbon footprint. They're using a lot of tech to you to avoid like to to take so much space and only use the rooftops they also have other projects for other places it's called agripolis and you know what for me i'm going to paris soon so i hope to go and visit we need a report melissa we need a report we need investigation (laughs) (laughs) okay well moving down south to tunisia Thanks to the empty streets during lockdown, hundreds of women have learned to ride bikes for the first time. I'm really excited about this. Previously, uh, riding bikes was seen as a boy's own activity. And during lockdown, every Sunday morning, dozens of novice cyclists who missed the chance to learn as a child took part in a cycling academy. And so far, the school's taught 700 cyclists, 97% of whom are women. So that's great, isn't it? There's a whole new generation of women learning to cycle and getting some freedom, I guess, being able to go out where they like, when they like. It's perfect. It's absolute social change. And meanwhile, in East Africa, Tanzania, the country of Tanzania, now has its first wind farm. Obviously, this project has been months in the making, but it was completed recently. It's called the Mwenga Project, and this first wind farm um, to ever been built in Tanzania has reached completion uh, as installation and testing works, and it was finalised during this pandemic. That is great news. Really good news. Big green good news. (laughs) So now, talking of green, I suppose this is green. We've got an interview for you. This is with Cycling UK. One of the biggest changes that we've all noticed, particularly those of us living in towns and cities, are the changes brought about by having much, much less traffic on the roads. Many of us have dusted off our bikes and may want this to continue, and so we've decided to talk to an organisation who've been thinking about this for over a century. I spoke to Keir Gallagher up in Glasgow. He is Cycling UK's campaigns manager and I first asked him to tell me about what they do. So Cycling UK, uh, the national cyclist charity, we've been around since, you know, just over 140 years. Uh, We represent everyone who cycles and everyone who might one day cycle. We want everyone to enjoy, you know, discover the love of cycling, whether that's children cycling to school, whether that's, you know, using your bike as, as popping down to the shop so if you just like to go and ride at the weekend and um, we think 
everyone should feel able and safe to cycle. Uh, and there's a long way to go in that respect, because unfortunately, a lot of people in the UK do feel like the roads are too dangerous. Yes, well, they do feel it's dangerous. But we know from many surveys that I've read recently that the increase in the numbers of people who want who have cycled during lockdown and want to carry on cycling is enormous. And that's really why we're having this interview today, really, to find out your views on that and, and how you think we can capitalise on that going going into the future. Absolutely. Well, you know, lockdown has is, is completely changed the way our streets, our towns and our cities work. Um, we've seen huge reductions in the amount of motor traffic. Uh, and as the roads have got quieter, there's been a huge uptake in the number of people cycling. Uh, and so in the UK, some of the government figures, we saw sort of peaks of sort of 200 300% at the weekends of people cycling compared to before lockdown, uh, while motor traffic was down to sort of 20 to 30%. So I think it's really proven that where people have the safe space to cycle, then they will get on the bike and they will go out and use that. And I think that's something that we all need to be looking to is sort of how do we carry that on beyond lockdown? Yes. Yeah, so what's what's your view on that? What's What are the way forwards? What's happened already in terms of changes in infrastructure? So, yeah, infrastructure really is the key thing. Um, the roads are so busy and, and people feel very intimidated often by motor vehicles that you need to provide people with safe, protected space for cycling. And ideally that space, which is only cyclist. You know, you can have shared space with pedestrians, but that can cause of conflict and can, can be a little you know, it can't always be the fastest way to get around. So we do want to see separate protected lanes where possible that go to and from town and city centres where people are commuting, where they're going to the shops or to school. Uh, and what we've seen is lots of, you know, countries across the world, but lots of local authorities in the UK start using the opportunities of lockdown to create temporary infrastructure. So that could be traffic cones or planters, um, things which could be done cheaply and quickly to allow enable people to, to cycle safely during lockdown and beyond. So we saw in Leicester, for example, we saw a temporary lane to and from a hospital to try and enable and encourage key workers who were maybe concerned about using public transport uh, to, to cycle to and from work. And so, yeah, we've we've started to see actions in, in you know, around 50 or 60 local authorities. But at the moment, it's a good start, but we need a lot more. At the moment, we have, you know, maybe one road has been closed for pedestrianisation and cycling or, you know, one temporary lane has been put in place. But if we want to encourage, you know, everyone to feel like they can cycle to work and to school, we need full networks across our cities of, of these kind of measures. And how how um, how likely do you think that is? What What's the government saying at the moment? So... um. Transports evolved, so you've got different situations in England, uh, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland, but definitely in, in Wales, Scotland and England, we've seen, you know, reasonably large amounts of money put forward by governments to enable local authorities to make these changes. So in England, we've got 225 million being allocated to allow very quick temporary infrastructure solutions to be put in. So that, as I said, sort of traffic cones, um, you know, ideally some kind of physical barrier, but but not the full scale built infrastructure. And then um, that's that's coming sort of now and over summer. And so that will be, again, that would be a really good start, but we are going to have to see continued high levels of investment in cycling. And, 
you know, when we look at countries that do this well, you're talking 10 or 20 pounds a head per cycling. Uh, and in the UK, you know, you're talking often in pence. Right. So we're not, in, in ter- c- compared with other European countries, we're way behind. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, certainly compared with sort of, you know, sort of Holland, Denmark, uh, some sort of bits of northern Germany, we're, we're way behind in terms of the amount per head going into cycling. So let's just stop here for a minute and have a chat about what we've heard so far. Melissa, do you cycle? I don't cycle. Have you got a bike? I don't cycle. I've had a bike when I was nine and I was sharing it with my sister and she was a bit better at it than myself. And then we didn't have a bike for 10 other years. And then I moved out of my parents paying my rent. Never had a bike anymore because you know what, Pommy? I always lived in big cities until I moved here. I mean, Bristol is big, but, you know, not that big. And um, I always find it quite scary, actually, as mentioned in the interview. I feel like, you know, when I was in London, I had a friend from the BBC who was cycling to work from um, Pimlico, for the ones who know London, from Pimlico, south of the river, to Bush House, which is just by, you know, the Waterloo Bridge. And she was my hero because... I, I was living north and then west, and it was a bit further away. But you must say, you know, with all the, the traffic and the buses and the special lanes and there's this British specialty called the roundabout, <laughs> <laughs> I was always really scared. I'm like, oh, my God, where, where are we supposed to, how are we supposed to survive this? Well, I used to cycle in London when I lived in London. I was, I was a lot younger, and um, the only roundabout I couldn't get round ever was Marble Arch I just couldn't navigate that one but I did do all the others and I only got knocked off once coming round oh such good news only once I know only once I got knocked over do you know what nobody absolutely nobody helped me up or asked me if I was okay nobody that's dreadful (laughs) but uh, I used to really like cycling around London I do have a bike in Bristol but I don't use it very much I'm much more sort of attached to the car than I would like to be. So maybe this is a chance to start cycling again. And and I have been thinking, I have been thinking maybe I should get an e-bike, an electric bike. As Kira was saying, it's also a, sometimes work is too far away or you have too many excuses not to get exhausted or arrive, you know, like completely sweaty. Um, it's one of the things, but I do would want more people to cycle because you know I'm a walker I don't take I don't drive and I tend to avoid buses because they're quite slow and stuck and you can wait for them forever so I'd rather walk 45 minutes and know where I'm going it's also how you learn to know a city but I think walkers and cyclists goes really well together right they tend to respect you know no one's too quick that's that fits the city center for me Yes, but I still think that but cyclists need segregating from pedestrians. I think it's quite hard if they're sharing the same space. I know if you go to Copenhagen, everything is designated, and, but they've got much more wide open streets and they've been designing it in for much longer. But that doesn't stop us doing it. To do that, you need to get rid of the cars in some sections because it's, most roads are not large enough to have a driveway for drivers and then a cycling pass that is really clear and then the sidewalk because some cyclists don't respect the uh, rules for drivers like they wouldn't stop a traffic light or they would use the sidewalk to just cross a street or turn left while a car couldn't do that so sometimes that could be really dangerous for everyone because you know drivers have to be careful and 
pedestrians have to be careful and etc etc so you're totally right it's just about having designated um pathways for everybody i think it's about having the right infrastructure isn't it and well as we come into the second part of the interview with keir gallagher he talks about the campaign they've got running at the moment where they're asking people to get involved to say precisely what they would like in certain streets so you can go to a map and pinpoint what you want to change so here he is telling me all about that so at the moment, we're trying to encourage local authorities to put in temporary space for cycling and walking. Uh, and the best way that individuals can help with that is we've got an interactive map where people can look and they can see in their local area and they can put a pin down to show where they think a cycle lane is needed, where the pavement's too narrow and they're struggling to social distance. So possibly there's a queue outside of a shop and that that's causing some difficulty. Um, and Anyone can find that on the, the Cycling UK website. It's really easy to use. Um, just look for a temporary infrastructure campaign. Uh, so the, obviously the infrastructure is one of the major barriers. What else is a barrier to people getting on their bikes and commuting to work and and, and maybe just going out for a, you know, a leisure ride? I, I think, you know, there's, there's different barriers for different people. Many people may not have a bike, may not have access to a bike uh, and we'd love to see the government doing more to help people um, you know get discounts on bikes if they need them um, we ran a project called cycle for health um, for a long time which uh, and is still going and which involves gps practices actually prescribing bikes uh, as a health solution so people who may have mental health problems or, or physical health problems um, they were given a free bike and, and that actually could enable them to you know whether it's just simply as a form of transport or whether it's enabling them to get a job because they had no way to get that before. You know, subsidies for e-bikes would also be a fantastic thing to see. So especially if you live in some of the hillier parts of the UK, you know, a lot of people don't really want to turn up to work sweaty or, or, or really tired or exhausted. And an e-bike can really help with, with some of those hills, you know, they're, they're great. Um, they flatten out the hills and and they also sort of extend your distance if you feel that you know how f your your normal journey to work is just a bit too far to cycle an e-bike can help with that so we would love to see some more subsidies for e-bikes to encourage people to use that sort of green form of transport which still gives a good health benefit as well i read something recently about park and cycle is that a good is that a good Idea? Yeah, I think we've seen some local authorities look into this. Um, I think there's, you know, especially anything which has got a, a sh shared bike, higher schemes, as long as they're done well, they do tend to be really beneficial. Um, I think that park and ride, you know, definitely has a place as part of the, you know, having less congestion in, in town and city centres, if people want to sort of finish off their journey on bike. Um, I think it's especially pertinent right now when we know that you've got lots of park and ride as in take the train facilities we've got a lot less people wanting to use public transport at the moment for very understandable reasons so it's obviously very important that people don't just revert to driving their car into the middle of town and, and city centres uh, and so anything which can help with that such as yeah sort of park and cycle type type facilities could, could really help but you're going to have to make sure that there's a safe route from that sort of park and park and cycle facility to the places people want to go 
Uh, otherwise, you might have a lot of people who maybe don't cycle all that often themselves, maybe don't even have their own bike sort of thrown out into busy traffic and they're going to very quickly be put off and, and not use it again. So as with all these things, it needs to be done in a, in a joined up way. Now, the other controversy that I've uh, seen quite a lot about is this idea of having a cycling license. What's your view on that? Well, this is something which which is often ruled out. Um, the reality is every country in the world which has ever attempted to have some kind of cycling license has had to scrap it because it's been hugely costly to administer. It's done very little in terms of road safety. Uh, it's people off cycling and so it's got you know negative implications for health uh and it's yeah it it has very few benefits i mean if you think about the uk you've got millions of bikes which change hands very easily um you've got many bikes owned by children uh and if you start thinking about well we need to have registration plates or licenses then you create a, a huge amount of work with virtually no benefit so uh, yeah it's it's not something which we think is is would benefit anyone and and to be honest we know the government uh, you know believes the same on that so finally Keir if you could wave a magic wand where would you like us all to be in this country in a year's time in a year's time you know it's 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 hard to say because it's it's a relatively short time in terms of building infrastructure but where we want to be is that everyone considers cycling as the natural choice for shorter journeys, uh, whether that's to school, whether that's to to the shops. Uh, it becomes assumed that you could take the bike where possible uh, and the car is, is, you know, for more exceptional cases. But the onus really isn't on individuals. The onus is on the government, uh, local and central government, to enable that to happen because it, it won't happen magically. It won't happen by telling people how good cycling is it'll only happen because people will see that they have space to cycle they'll go and use it and they'll feel safe doing so uh, and so that's that's what we'd like to see thanks there to Keir Gallagher campaigns manager for cycling UK for talking to me this week it's nearly time to finish now but before we go we know that many of you will be missing sport this summer Wimbledon should be on the telly right now as should the cricket and athletics, so we thought it'd be fun to bring you some theme tunes to remind you of past summers. This is Abandoned Rugs playing a medley of sports theme tunes on a piano. See how many you can recognise and then find them on YouTube. That's it for the quarantine this week. We'll be back next week with a new cocktail of ideas and positive news for you all. In the meantime, we'd really love to hear from you. So you can get hold of us by emailing us at thequarantinipodcast at gmail.com. 
And we're also on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. This episode was hosted by me, Melissa Shemam. And was hosted and produced by me, Pommy Harmer. Thank you for listening. And stay safe. Stay safe.